You're listening to Business Casual, a podcast about making dollars and cents Aha. in commercial real estate. Well, welcome back. This is Tim. We're back. Commercial. Yeah, we're back. This is Tim, the commercial guy, Churchwell, and this is Rob Symbionte out of, out of glorious Florida down there. Mm-hmm. Rent, rent ready, Rob out here. I, I don't know if I'm gonna Rob. have that stick or not. Yeah, well, I kind of like know. it actually. We'll it's kind of catchy, man. Yeah. We'll see. We'll see. Why people don't forget me? Build that portfolio, right? Well, that's what we're doing. Trying to build that portfolio, but it's pretty fun considering uh, how lending is going nowadays. How it's uh, probably going to be moving here pretty soon. Uh, yeah, let's talk about lending real quick. And then we'll get into some discussion about lending as far as investment space versus user space, if you're actually going to use it. Mm. The lending market right now, and Rob, you're well aware of this, has gotten incredibly tough. A lot of your major lenders out there stopped lending on investments months ago, a lot of your large banks. So what type of resources are we looking at now that you have to go to? There's many places you can go to. I'm going to agree and disagree with your last statement, but you could either go to private money, which I wouldn't say is drying up. It's just getting a little bit more hesitant uh, compared to how it used to be. Essentially, private money is your your family, friends, investors, people who are able to give you their money for a certain return. You could do hard money. Hard money is essentially a lender with a lot less regulation and which is able to move money a lot quicker and they have a lot more fees to them there it's a lot more expensive so for example i was looking at rates the other morning if you're pretty experienced and you have a pretty good deal you could probably get a 5859 on most commercial but if you're looking at hard money you're going to be looking at 910ish on a great deal and if it's a bad deal and you have a lot less experience, you're probably going to be looking at a 12, 13, and it's going to be rough. Plus points. Ooh, pardon? Plus points. Yeah, plus those points, which which they'll get you. And, uh, and the, the, you got to read the fine print on those on those lending <laughs> things. But you can either do that or if you have been doing well and you've been doing deals in the market, or if you put yourself together well, you can go to your traditional lenders. Now... The reason why I say put yourself together well, I find if you show up at the bank not knowing what you're doing and not making it happen, they're going to reject you and they're going to they're going to try to ghost you and they're going to act like they can't see you. Uh, that's kind of how it works. But then the more you develop a relationship with the bank, they're going to be happier to see you and they're going to want to carry on doing business with you because that's how a business, excuse me, a banking relationship works. Yeah. And talking about that. The most of your large traditional banks are what we call relationship banks. In other words, they're going to want multiple types of accounts from you. Uh, I believe their target is at least five. Now, there a lot of the banks several months ago put a more large banks, well, six months ago, put a moratorium on mm-hmm. lending on investment properties. However, if you go, that's not to say they wouldn't do the deal at all. If you go in and you and you have all these other accounts with them, and you're let's say you want to borrow a million dollars on an, on a deal for an investment property, and they're sitting here looking. Uh, well, this guy has all these 
other accounts with this, all this other stuff. They're willing to pledge assets to fully secure that million dollars. And they're going to raise the requirements. They're going to say, okay, well, normally we do 25% down. We're going to require 30%. We want a debt coverage ratio of you know 1.3 instead of 1.2 on the NOI. So it's, so it's not to say that they won't do the deal. It's, it's just it's going to be extremely difficult, especially if you don't already have that relationship with them. And they're going to want to know, you know, it's the old adage, they don't mind lending you money if you don't really need to borrow the money. And that's what bankers that's do. So, that's 100% true. Yeah. And, and we're not saying that they're not going to lend you. It's just show up to play ball. And they, and if you are a good ball player, they will lend to you. And they do still give out money, and they're actually not at too bad of rates. Yeah, compared to two <laughs> years ago, maybe a little different. But you need to have either a experience or b know what you're doing to be able to get them warm and fuzzy with you. Because Tim, correct me if I'm wrong. Essentially, I go apply for a loan with a bank, especially your local banks, and they're like, "All right, we'll like start to do it." And they start playing ball. You put your application fee in. Eventually, when that package is all together and it's all underwritten, it gets put on a table. And around that table is the board of that bank. Mm -hmm. And they either yay or nay your loan. It is an extraordinarily relationship-based system. If they see that you're saying before, I've got no checking account. I've got no savings account. I have I have no mortgages with them. I, I didn't even do it on my personal residential side of things they're gonna be like this guy doesn't really work with us isn't really a big client and it's his first deal more than likely they're not going to want to work with you well let me uh, jump in here i can tell you the large banks in particular definitely put a moratorium on any new accounts like that so they said no uh, i mean we were we you know i was called up in a deal like that for instance uh, somebody wanted to buy a shopping center and it, you know, strictly as an investment property, and the, you know, the lender I was working with, I can remember it vividly. She called me at five fifteen or five thirty. Said she just got off of a conference call, and she was almost in tears uh, because a lot of her focus was on investment lending. And she said, "Tim, we were told no on all investment loans right now. Now that's because of the stress testing factor that happened." You have to understand your large banks go through what we call a stress testing. They're required to do this. In other words, they're looking at their books and on their loans, and they're saying, okay, well, what happens if interest rates do this? What happens if interest rates go there? What type of exposure is this going to give us? How much risk are we taking at this point? And so that's why when interest rates were rapidly increasing like that, that's why they placed that moratorium on them. Now, I will tell you, the, your regional banks, a lot of your smaller banks, didn't. they're not required to do the stress test, which is also one reason why a lot of the smaller banks are in trouble right now. They have all, you heard, actually, not even just smaller ones. You heard about, uh, what was that big one that failed? Shock, SVN. Yeah, SVN, stuff like that. So they come, so that's hurt a lot of them. It's like this last interest rate hike actually hurt a lot of the small banks more than anything. Because now they're like, oh, hold on, we didn't go. Yeah, you raised it again. Now we can't serve, we can't make money off of the deals that we've got in play. 
So that really puts a lot of stress on them. And that's why it's called the stress test factor. I will tell you, and there are some good, believe it or not, credit unions are actually a good place to get loans right now. Now, one part of what we're talking about with all this is on the investment side. Let's switch over to if you say, hey, I want to go buy an office building for my medical practice or you know, for whatever your business is. That's a whole different story. The lenders are usually very willing to do that. I mean, it's the adage of you're going to be in this property. You're going to take better care of it. You have a vested interest in making the payments because that's where your business is and you don't want to get kicked out of the place of your business. So that's a user loan. And most of your lenders are going to be very happy to speak with you about that. In addition to that, the SBA, Small Business Administration, has some great loan programs out there if it's right for you. Always ask your lender, you know, you might get a lender that can talk to you about both sides. It's like, well, here, here's the pros and cons. There are some negative sides to doing an SBA loan. They usually take longer to get approved. In addition to that, there might be a prepayment penalty. But some of the positives, lower down payment, you get longer-term amortization on your financing. So all that helps. Exactly. Talking about all that, let's talk about user space versus investment space or the different types of commercial real estate out there. So on commercial real estate, one, you, you hear us talking a lot about the investment side, and Rob's an investor, and I'm an investment specialist. So on the so in commercial real estate, you get the investor side, which you've heard us speaking about. Now let's talk about user space. Again, that's the person that's going to be and operate in that property. So understand that there's a difference there. Everything from the financing to, you know, if you're looking to relocate your office space. Just a quick tip right there. I remember getting this in one in one of my CCIM classes. There's an office specialist in there. And we were talking. He said, look, you'll do all this analysis for them. You know, this is in, I believe, is 103. You'll do all this analysis, narrow it down, and say, look, here's three great properties for your corporation. Invariably, what's going to happen is 80% of the time, the decision maker who runs that company and stuff is going to choose the property that's closest to their house. And you know this going in. You still got to do all this work, do all this analysis for them, even though one of the other ones might be the best fit based on the criteria. More than likely, they're going to choose the one that's closest to their house. Just a little tidbit there. Yeah, user space is a completely different game from the investor space, and banks are going to be way happier to do it. The government's going to be way happier uh, in, in regards to, like, you are also, you're going to buy a space, you're going to be hiring people, you're going to be putting tax dollars into the local government, and that's what they want to see. They want to see you being an asset. I don't know if you've ever heard that essentially the way to get rich is to be able to provide value to other people. The government is going to help you and want to help you in regards to if you're going to help them and they want to see higher taxes, more people moving places. And if you're opening up a business, it's way better than you saying, hey, I want an investment property uh, and I might do this or I might do that uh, rather than your invested interest in, in user space. Yeah, exactly. And when it comes to different types of properties, let's talk about the different sectors in commercial real estate. Sure. Yeah. Let it. Yeah. We, well, there's five, five major ones. Yeah, five major ones. You have, obviously, the multifamily. Everybody talks about multifamily. It's what most people understand and are more comfortable doing. You also have the office space, which we've discussed. 
<laughs> hopefully we saw hopefully we saw the office space here pretty soon. Yeah, we're going to get into that later talking about the office market. That's that's a really big topic out there right now. You also have industrial space. You know, warehouses and keep in mind all of these actually have segments underneath them. You can break these down further. But this, you know, but off uh, industrial space. What am I missing here, Rob? Uh, uh, office, industrial, multifamily, hospitality. Hospitality, your hotel. Industrial. Yeah. Land. How are we? Land doesn't count. Here? Specialty. Yeah, you know, things like churches, uh, event Let's centers. Yeah. Multifamily, office, industrial, retail, hospitality. Yeah. Yeah. And then specialty. So I think we've covered. There's, there's tons. You can also do stuff with land uh, as well. So, like, you don't actually have to have a property on it. Um, land development's a yeah, huge thing as well. Yeah, but land you look at, I mean, there, there is kind of a specialty as far as, like, farmland and stuff like that. But land's usually looked at for highest and best use. So, mm -hmm. you're looking at, is this a multifamily land? Yeah. So, land kind of falls up under one of those. And so, those are the different sectors of the market out there, the broad sectors. And again, each one can kind of be broken down into and go and, into, you know, more depth. I, I have a question if, as I know how I do it, but I want to see how you do it. If you had to pick one of those sectors, what would you be looking at? And if you're like, Hey, I'm an investor. Or, hey, I want to specialize in the brokerage side. What should I be looking for? One of the big things that I tell everybody, it depends. I know I sound like an attorney there, but it really depends. You know, remember, my background is in financial planning. So I look at everything from a risk return perspective. So if we're sitting down and I see that you're, you've got all of your investment portfolio, unless you're an institutional size investor, but you're, all of your investment portfolio as an individual is all in one sector of the market, even though that may be a great sector, in which to invest right now, I'm going to tell you that you need to diversify your portfolio. Not to get too complicated, there's a thing out there called the efficient frontier curve when you look at this stuff. And basically it talks about for all for the, each unit of risk you take uh, or of return you're looking to achieve, you're going to take a point of risk. However, from a portfolio perspective, if you diversify your portfolio correctly, you can actually lower your risk and increase your return. And that's way too broad. That's way too in depth for us to really get into right now. But keep that in mind. You know? So, Rob, to answer your question, it depends. Yeah. It, it, it definitely does depend. Also, like, it depends on where you're at. If, uh, if you're in New York, maybe office space right now could uh, not seem as attractive as it used to be. But it also, from another person's perspective, they're like, hey, I'm getting office at a massive discount. Mm -hmm. So there's many ways different uh, to look at it. Personally, I just picked multifamily because of personal beliefs in that everyone's going to need housing. So I thought of it that way. Uh, people might think that every industrial is the best because logistics is going to be the, the biggest thing in the future. Well, that's another thing. There's, there's many different ways of, of looking at it. But those are the sectors of, of commercial yeah. And development, uh, development is kind of like hitting all of it at once. Yeah, I, I love development. The problem with development right now is that the funds are definitely dried up on that. Development is the high, pretty much the highest risk you can carry out there. Because if you think about it, you're making this large investment into whether it's land or you're repurposing a property, and we can get into you know 
adaptive reuse later. But it's going to take a while before you actually start achieving any funds off of that property mm-hmm. and, and off of that investment. And who knows what the market's going to do by then. So if you, you know, a friend of mine who's also a CCIM, he was building a shopping center. He took out the loan, started, you know, the stream was coming, broke ground when the big recession hit, you know, back in the uh, late 2000s. And as he said, he goes, it's kind of like being pregnant. You got to go ahead and push it out. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, so he kept building. He didn't like it. You know, he's liable for that mortgage payment. And so he's got to go ahead and do it. And that's the case with development. Uh, You know, the market can change on you before you actually start seeing those returns. And that's also why lenders right now, I mean, man, development loans are dead in the water. Unless you are a large corporation with huge substantial backing. Now, I will tell you the multifamily development funds are still there. Mm-hmm. Multifamily and, and some industrial in certain places, they are still very bullish on it. Uh, I was talking with somebody today that just got like some massive industrial loan, and I was like, oh, good for you, man. Oh, uh, that's, that's over in Tampa. Yeah. So, so but multifamily is a great sector for development aspect. Now you do have to be careful because the multifamily market, depending on where you're investing in this country, the multifamily market is slowed down. Some places it's actually dipped quite a bit. Uh, Rents have dropped, but we are seeing an uptick again. CoStar is reporting on it. Uh, Goldman Sachs has been talking about it. So again, with the multifamily, like Rob was saying, it depends on where you're investing as well as far as geographically. There are certain cities right now that you should stay away from. Oh. <laughs> investing in Portland, you know, maybe maybe your property value might not be uh, might not be doing too hot. Right? Might be going down, but yeah. And student housing, which is part of multifamily, is always kind of a hot sector. And Rob, I know you've been researching student housing quite a bit. I've been doing a decent amount in student housing, and actually, that I I've got an idea for. Something that's kind of like student housing that kind of solves a little bit of the affordability crisis. But essentially, student housing is in a is a way that you're able to really flex cash flows on properties that might not work. Uh, okay. And there's a and there's a new thing that I'm I'm looking into. I want to hear your opinion. Well, on I'll it. tell you what. How about if we get into that at the next segment? Okay. And just to rehash everything that we were talking about, we were talking about the different types of. Uh, different types of commercial real estate, both from an investor and a user standpoint. Know your market. Know what's going on. The old adage with real estate, it's location, 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 and every location is different. So coming up, we're going to get more into Rob's student housing experience and something interesting there. And I can't wait to hear this. And on that note, we're going to wrap it up. Business Casual Podcast is recorded in the Hurrah Studio and edited by Mark Harlan.